So we're going to start tonight with the book of Numbers. What do you think the book of Numbers could be about, right? It's about numbers. At least the first third of the book is about numbers. You know what, I just stand with me and we're going to pray. I think you're going to receive tonight a very enlightening message uh, with a lot of key life lessons in it tonight. Key life lessons. Uh, they can make your life much better, much more fulfilling and meaningful by applying them. And, um, and then I have a very interesting ending, so you want to stay for the ending. I know people usually aren't walking out of here before, but I have a very interesting ending. So Father, we just pray, Lord God, tonight we come... Lord, like Mary who sat at your feet. Martha was busy doing a whole lot of things. And Lord God, we all have a bunch of busy things that we're doing in our lives. But Lord God, we just want to put those things off for now. Just come, sit at your feet. And Lord God, just tune ourselves in to your voice. I pray, Lord God, you're a teacher. Holy Spirit, teach us the word of God tonight. And Lord God, let us learn. Let us learn these lessons. For Father God, they can truly bring an abundance of fulfillment to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Numbers, uh, essentially, it's, it's the numbering of Israel, okay? And um, it should, it, it really, I think it could be called the book of Numbers, and I don't want to interfere with the Holy Spirit did, but it could be called the book of Wanderings. Because they wandered, because of their sin, because of their rebellion, because of their resisting of the Holy Spirit and their rejection of God's provisions, uh, God's leaders. And, and here, is, here is essentially, this is where the book begins and this is where the book ends. So I want to show you, I want to show you this. Leviticus, okay, the last chapter and last verse of Leviticus is Leviticus twenty six forty six. And these are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. So Leviticus ends on Mount Sinai. Numbers, okay, ends in the plains of Moab. So Numbers 36, 13, these are the commands and regulations the Lord gave through Moses to the Israelites on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. So this is, again, this is where the entire book, the entire book takes place right from here. From here to there. It should have taken them about 14 days. All right, some people say 11 days. But two weeks, let's say two weeks. How long did it take them? Yeah, it took 38 years. Actually, from them to go from here, and that's you know when you when you say forty years, that's what Stephen was saying in uh, in Acts chapter. And there's a truth because it was forty years before they crossed over, but it took them forty years to go what would have taken them fourteen days. Think about that. Are the things you're pursuing, are the goals that you're pursuing, are they taking you? a lot longer than they should, right? Two weeks or 40 years. I'd rather take the two weeks. So in the, in the text, there are just some, some great life lessons here to learn. And, you know, sometimes when you're learning life lessons, you learn them from the wise. But also, you can learn life's lessons from the fools, 
And you look at people and, you know, what they're getting in life, and you look, you learn essentially what not to do. And with a wise person, you learn what to do. I want to show you an important passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 10. It really kind of gives us a, a, a really good lesson here about, you know, how we should be studying the scriptures. But it says here, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. He's talking about now the Old Testament. All passed through the sea, the, 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 the Dead Sea. And um, all, I'm sorry, the, the Red Sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and, and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. And they uh, drank uh, of that spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. But with um, most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. We're saying when we're going through the Old Testament, learn the lessons. Now these things were uh, became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality uh, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for ad admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So, again, you, you have a, it, this is a great lesson as you're going through the scriptures, learn. And, and these, these are, again, I'll call them negative lessons because you're learning from people who did the wrong thing and experienced the consequences. So there are, there are great lessons, positive lessons to learn, and there are negative lessons to learn. Now I'm going to give you, I'm just going to give you a quick here, real quick, overview. For those of you who are, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be studying the book of Numbers with me, you know, each week. But um, act number one occurs in Numbers 1 through 10, and that's the preparing to leave Sinai. So that's where the, the actual numbering of, uh, of Israel occurs. And most people, when they come to Numbers chapter 1, they usually jump from chapter 1 to chapter 8 because it's just one genealogy after another of all the tribes. There's some real significance, as I've taught you, in the genealogies. Acts number, uh, act number 2, Israel rejects the land. You see that in Numbers chapter 11 through 19. We're going to kind of take a look at that tonight. And then act number three, Israel settles across from Canaan, uh, and that's Numbers 22 through 36. So you're going you're to get a lot of that over the course of the next, the next weeks. But what I want to focus on tonight are some great life lessons, and I'm just going to kind of give you a, an overview of some great life lessons from the book of Numbers. The first thing, they complained. Now, they not only complained, but they were complaining to God. And they were complaining about God. And, you know, when you think about complaining, complaining is tempting because it makes you feel good. You know, why do people complain? Because there, there is some type of an adrenaline rush that they get from it. There's endorphins release. There's serotonin release. They're, they're getting a little bit of a drug high from complaining. So they enjoy it. But there, there, there are many things that can be enjoyable that are really not good for us. Like, he, like eating three pounds of sugar cookies. 
you know, in one sitting. It may feel good, but it's really not good for you. Or eating three pounds of bacon, right? I mean, don't, everyone loves bacon. You put bacon on anything, right? My dog has these bacon treats that I give him at night, and when I smell them, I start salivating for bacon. But if you ate three pounds of bacon for breakfast, it's really not good for you. And, and complaining may feel good, but ultimately it's not good for you. I'm going to show you. I want to show you that. So Numbers 11, 1 through 3. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused, so that fire of the Lord burned amongst them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and then Moses prayed to the Lord. The fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Tabira because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. So one thing to, to, to realize about complaining, it, it is really totally useless. It, it disempowers you and basically makes you a victim. Uh, it can easily become a habit and it's basically, you're, you're, you're showing weakness whenever you're complaining. So here's a couple of, uh, I'm going to give you a little science lesson here. Science shows that complaining rewires the brain to be negative. So re repeated complaining rewires your brain that makes future complaining more likely. And over, over time, what happens is you find it easier and easier to complain. Regardless of what's happening to you, when you get a person who's a complainer, they can have everything going right in their life. They'll find things to complain about because they've developed a habit. Literally, their, 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 their neurons in their brain have been forged with you know, these, these complaint connections between the cells of the brain. So it, it literally, complaining becomes a default behavior which um, just changes the way people perceive you. I mean, how many of you like being around chronic complainers? Right? Does, does anyone? Unless you're a chronic complainer. Birds of a feather, uh, you know, they, they flock together. The, uh, another, another thing, this, is, this part of the brain is called the hippocampus part of the brain. And um, so complaining the scientists tell us that it actually damages this area of the brain. So there was a research study at Stanford University that shows that complaining shrinks the hippocampus, okay, part of the brain, an area of the brain that's critical to problem solving. Now think about that. By complaining all the time, you shrink this part of your brain, and then you don't have the ability to actually solve problems. You lose the ability to be able to solve them. And you know what? That's true. When you, when you, when you see people who are chronic complainers, they don't seem to have the ability to change their behaviors because this part of the brain ha has, been, has been shrunk. Another, another thing about complaining, complaining releases cortisol. If you know anything about cortisol, you don't want to have a lot of cortisol flowing through your bloodstream and flowing into your you know, muscle tissue and bone tissue and everything else. Cortisol basically is going to weaken your immune system. It's going to make you more vulnerable to viruses. It makes you more vulnerable to uh, sickness, to heart disease, to flus, to COVID. Even it makes you more vulnerable to obesity. So, uh, and, and you know what they find is it, it, that cortisol makes you extremely vulnerable to strokes. 
So cortisol is an enemy. If you understand, if you understand fitness, when I I do my seminars for companies, I'll, I talk about this. It's 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 an enemy. You want it, you want to eliminate, and you want your body to produce as little of cortisol as possible. But complaining produces cortisol. Also, okay. Essentially, you know, we we are we are extreme social creatures, right? And our, and our brains are wired for, I mean, everything that happened with COVID, you can see people going crazy for fellowship, you know, for friendship, for spending time with people. And it's just, it's not normal for us to be isolated from one another. Now, what happens though, with the people we hang around with, right, we become like them. So it's called, this is called neural mirroring. That whether, whether, you, whether you intend or not, the people you spend most time with, you are going to become like them. Why do you think that the, the Lord exhorts us to spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ? Because again, this, this neural mirroring is happening whether you realize it or not. But when you're with people, okay, whoever they are, you're going to basically learn their behaviors. You're going to begin to imitate uh, their behaviors. And it's almost like, it's almost like smoking. I grew up in a home of smokers, and I never smoked. I was the only one who didn't smoke. But the smoking had an effect on me. I'm, I'm thankful I got out, got out of the home. But even though I wasn't a smoker, that smoke was having an effect on me. And the same, the same thing goes with complaining. You may not be a complainer at that time, but when you ha- are surrounded by complainers, what happens is whether you're, you know, you're realizing it or not, it has an effect on you, and that neural mirroring occurs, and what you find, you start to find that you know, you're starting to go along with them. My, my children, when they were growing up, we, we taught them, uh, my daughter came home, and I guess the kids had colds in, in the school, so they had a saying, hold your sneeze please. So it kind of became not only hold your sneeze, but when somebody starts complaining to you, hold your sneeze, please. You know, don't don't come complaining and you know complaining and sneezing sneezing all over me. So, Philippians chapter two, fourteen through fifteen, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do, do all things without complaining. So the, the question becomes how? Right, how, do you, how do you do it? How do, how do we stop complaining? And if you, if you, understand, if you understand change okay, from a biblical perspective... You can try to stop something. You're going to say, I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to stop complaining. I'm, I'm going to stop complaining. I'm, I'm going to stop eating all those carbohydrates. I'm going to stop eating those carbohydrates. What happens? You continue to do it. Because it's not enough just to put off. What does the Bible teach? In Ephesians chapter 4, you must put off the old and put on the new. That's how, that's how true change occurs. That's how you, you truly rewire. You rewire your brain and your neural system. By putting off the old, putting off the old, and putting on the new. So I'm going to give you. I want to just give you three ways to stop complaining. Okay. The first is develop an attitude of gratitude. Cultivate an attitude of gratitude. I'll give you a little exercise. I've shared this with you before. Usually, in fact, this time of the year, we usually share it when we talk about Thanksgiving. Make Thanksgiving Thanksgiving. 
So every morning, I write out, I write out a prayer. And part of my prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. And I thank the, I thank the Lord for spiritual blessings. And there's always a bunch of them. And then I thank the Lord for material blessings, and there's always a bunch of them. I thank the Lord for relational blessings, and there's always a bunch of them. And then I thank the Lord for answered prayer. And I will fill up a nice half of a page, and it kind of is something that then I can carry with me through the day, just an an attitude of, of gratitude. Key thing. Second thing here, see the cup half full instead of half empty. Complainers always see the cup, right? They always see the cup half empty. They're just, they're, they're, they're brain, they're, they, they, they've trained themselves to see the cup half empty. But train yourself to see the cup half full. Because no matter what's happening to you in life and all the things that are going on in your life, there, there will always be some things maybe that you're unhappy with or something that's negative, but then there are always a bunch of positive things that you could be grateful for. I'll give you a great, I want to give you a great example. Matthew Henry, you go up into my library, I have a, all of Matthew Henry's works. He was a theologian back in the 16th century. Matthew Henry tells a story. He was robbed. And he wrote this prayer out. He said, thank you, Lord, that they got my wallet, but they didn't get my all. Thank you, Lord, that they got my wallet, but they didn't take my life. And thank you, Lord, that they did the robbing and I didn't do the robbing. And that's a picture of seeing the cup half full as compared to seeing the cup half empty. And, and let me just, can I just, I'm going to give you a, something, a, a great insight here. Technically, the glass is always full because half of it is full of air and the other half is full of water. Different way of looking at things. And then the, 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 third, the third thing is become solution-oriented. Develop a solution-oriented mindset. So, you know, again, problems are going to occur, challenges are going to occur, and uh, instead of, you know, obsessing about the problem, complaining about the problem, then begin to brainstorm and bring solutions to the problem. I think 98% of the problems that happen to us, we we can come to them with solutions and solve them. That's what I've done for the past 40 years is here in the church as well as in my business. People pay me to help them to solve problems. And uh, that's really what it, what, what it comes down to, is just working with people and so- solving problems. And sometimes they're health problems, sometimes they're business problems, sometimes they're, they're emotional problems, attitude problems, relational problems. But, but come to those problems with solutions and bring solutions to them. So those are three things, three things that if you, you know, you implement, be thankful. Really cultivate an attitude of gratitude. See the cup half full instead of half empty and develop a solution-oriented mindset that you could bring and, and, you know, you can solve problems. In fact, it really becomes an exciting adventure when you think about it because every day presents to us a number of problems. And to approach life that, hey, I'm going to work to overcome the problem. Some of them you'll be able to overcome immediately in the day. Some of them may take a year or years to be able to solve. But that's, that's the challenge of life. That's how we grow. You ever wonder why God, you know, God put us in this world, in this world of testing, because this life is a test. 
And I think we are tested by the things that, right, that, that life throws at us, that the devil throws at us, that people throw at us. And when we rise up to the test and we are overcoming, that's, again, that's how we grow and develop. We evolve, you know, as human beings. Okay, number two. Okay, so the first is they complained. That got them into a lot of trouble. Second, they looked back. Verse 4 and, uh, through 6 of Numbers 11. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense cravings. They lusted. Look at what they lusted after. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers and melons, the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Intense cravings. They remembered eating leeks and onions by the Nile. Boy, you talk about eating in style. I mean, this, this is what they're, they're lusting. Leeks and onions. And they're, they're lusting after the old life. You ever see, you ever see people in the church do that? I, say, I, I, get, I get a little tired of sometimes of testimonies because the testimony goes on for 50 minutes talking about all oh, the bad things that I did and the sex that I had and the drugs I did and you know, the people I be. They go through that and they say, and then Jesus came into my life and he changed my life. And that's, they, they talk about Jesus for a minute and that's the end of the testimony. I think, I think it, should be, it should be more, you know, the, the, first, the first two minutes and talk about, hey, I was a sinner, falling short of the glory of God on my way to hell, and then Jesus came into my life and he saved me. And we can go on and talk about all that Jesus did for me for the next 15 minutes. There was a brother, a brother who um, I loved, my wife loved, came here to the church. We both got saved at the same time. And uh, he was a heroin addict. And um, all I remember is when, when he got saved, he was sitting in church shaking, shaking like a leaf. I mean, he's bouncing all over the place. And he let Jesus come into his life, and Jesus saved him. And uh, he ended up working with us here at the church. He became a, a pastor with us, went through an education program. And um, then he went up to a college up in Boston. And uh, he graduated valedictorian in that college. And he was on his way to go into seminary where he was going to be prepped to be a scholar. He was going to be a scholar for the church in the Nazarene. We loved him. But when I talked to him at times, he would tell me about the old life. And he would talk about it with this craving. It bothered me. I said to him, you need to, you know, you need to leave it behind. He would talk to me about what he would feel when he would use heroin, and I don't even want to describe that to anybody here, and if anybody's watching tonight, because you don't need to hear this, but he had this, like, lust for what would happen when he used heroin. But he kept looking back. He was a genuine Christian. And then one night I got a call. He graduated, again, graduated valedictorian in his class and was getting ready to go out to Kansas City. And his roommate called me, he overdosed and he died. He was dead on the uh, bathroom floor. And his roommate called me and said, what should I do? And I said, call the, call the police. We don't think he used before that night. He was stressed, whatever, and he, again, went back. I believe God took him. I believe God w was not going to lose him again to the devil. 
I believe that God took him out of the world. I think you, I, we're going we're to be together with him. I had to go and tell his father. And the first thing his father, there were some suicides in the family. He said, did he kill himself? I said, no, he overdosed. And then his dad went up and got the body. I did the funeral. There were, there were probably, I don't know, 150 young people. I said, we were all about 20 years old because we are all in our 20s at the time, standing in a, in, in a hurricane. It was literally a hurricane in Hackensack, you know, that, that cemetery across the street from uh, what used to be Bergen Tech. 150 people there just weeping, crying, because everybody loved him. He was, such, he, was, he, was, he was the most brilliant teacher to ever teach in this church, and that goes including myself. He was the most brilliant. He, he, was, he was a scholar. He had, if you know who Walter Martin is, he had the potential to be a Walter Martin. That's how brilliant he was. And, um, but he kept looking back. Remember how good it was? Remember we used to hang out in the bar? Remember the phone we used to, you know, just... Jesus, Jesus said, a man, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Or think about that. If you, you're plowing, you're, I mean, your furrows are going to be all over the place. You're going to make a mess of the whole field. I, I, use, I use the term, you can't drive down the road of life looking through the rearview mirror. I mean, if you're, if you're driving down the road looking through the rearview mirror, I mean, how many accidents are you going to have? How many people are you going to hurt? How many times are you going to hurt yourself? Right? You're, going to be, you're going to be crashing into trees. You're going to be cash, crashing into bumpers in front of you. You're going to be crashing into the guardrail. You can't drive down the road of life looking back. And let me tell you something. That's for both the good of your past and the bad of your past. You know the, the Bruce Springsteen song, uh, Glory Days? You know that, that, that song? I knew a baseball player back in high school, right? He's like, oh, it was, you know, it was old. You know, people like, that's, that's people looking back saying, you remember that, how great, how great that was, how great that was? Or maybe they look back and it's like how bad it was and how bad it was. And you can't be driving down the road of life looking through the rear view mirror without, without messing up your life. And I, I, I get, this, get this at times, some of the touch with guys that I, you know, I grew up with and went to high school. Remember when we used to box together? Well, I, I boxed last night. Remember when we used to work out in the gym together? Well, I, just, I work out every morning. I'm living, I'm living my, my life now. The past is gone. You know, just a, a, a great saying, your past does not equal your future. They kept looking back, and it was creating huge problems. Okay, number three. They resisted God's provision. Numbers chapter 11, verse 6 through 9. But now our whole being is dried up. This is, this is exaggeration. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its color like the color of bedellium. And the people went about and gathered it, ground it in millstones or beat it in, in the mortar, cooked it in pans and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. I mean, they are, just, they are just whining and complaining. They're sick of manna. You know, what more can we do with the manna? Right? It's manna pancakes. Manna waffles. Manna French toast. Manna meal. Right? Manna grits. Manna farina. 
Manna Cheerios for the kids. Manna Burgers. Souffle of manna. Manna Cotti. <laughs> Bonama bread. I'm borrowing from Keith Green. But they're just, they're just, they're just complaining. So you know, you know what God says, okay, you, you, don't want, you don't want angels' food. So what am I going to give you? What does he give them? Yeah, watch, watch what it says in Numbers eleven eighteen through 20. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, or, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loath- loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? You know, there's a, there's a technique to help people overcome uh, addictions. They do this with people with cigarettes. They'll, just, they'll have them smoke, chain smoke, nonstop, for, for, like, for a day. And they just keep feeding them cigarettes until, I mean, I never smoke, so I don't know. But they, they become so sick of the cigarettes that suddenly the pattern can be broken. They'll do that with food with people. And I think that's what God here. You, you want it. You're going to eat it until it's coming out of your nostrils. The fourth, they rebelled against God's anointed leader. So Numbers 12, 9 through 12. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, right? Miriam and Aaron started this. His brother and sister rebelled against him. So Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Then Aaron turned towards Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. They were rebelling against Moses. I want to tell you what, what, what happens with this. When people, and I'm, look, I'm talking about an anointed, godly leader. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who's preaching a false gospel. Somebody who's doing immoral things. It starts with one or two, and then it spreads through the community like a contagious disease. And it contaminates. It contaminates. They set a precedent, Right? And, and you see that I believe Aaron and Miriam set a precedent that is carried on in chapter 13 and 14. But that, that precedent, that, that contains, it's a disease. And I think some of you have, in leadership here have heard me say that. When, when I see somebody, when they get the disease, they're diseased. They're contaminated. The devil's got them. They're thinking, they're, you know, they, they, again, they start complaining, they start, they start attacking. So, I mean, they're looking at Moses and saying, Moses, uh, you know, he acts like this big shot. He acts like this big shot. You know, who does he think he is? You know, look at us. We're, you know, we're his brother and sister. We're leaders. And why did he get so upset about that cow? Remember the cow? And we just go, why did he get so upset about the cow? And all he does is sit around and write the Bible. And they start one. And watch, watch again. Watch the contagion. Numbers 14, 1 through 4. So all the congregation lifted up their voices. Notice that. 
Now it's the whole congregation. The whole congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the, the, the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Were they rebelling against God's anointed leader? And again, this infection, this gossip, this slander, it just, it just, again, this whining, this complaining is just spreading through the community. All right, last one. They rejected God's gift. So Numbers chapter 13, 1 and 2, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers, and you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Now see, God gave them the promised land. He gave them, he gave it to Abraham, right? Isaac and Jacob and to the 12 sons, right? Of, uh, of Jacob. He gave, he gave it to them. And you may be sitting there and going, well, he gave it to them. This is a gift. And now he says to them, go in there and defeat the enemies and occupy it. Do you notice that when, when God, you, he's given you the free gift of salvation, have you noticed you've got to fight for it? It's yours. You've got to defend it. Right? Because the enemy's going to come and he's going to attack. So you, you, have, you have to be on guard. So this, this is what God did. He gave them the promise. Now watch. Watch what happens. I'll just touch, I mean, the entire chapter 13 and 14. Talk about this. Look at 13, 26 to 33. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron. Right? They go in and they spy out the promised land. The Twelve spies. And all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It is truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, by the way, uh, at the men's retreat, this is what I'm going to be talking about, Caleb. I'm going to be talking about Caleb, this great man of courage. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report in the land which they had spied out saying, the land though which we have gone as spies is the land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants and we are like grasshoppers in their sight and so we were in their side. God said, here's the gift. Go in and I'm, I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you everything you need to go in and inhabit the land and be victorious. But you've got to go and you've got to fight the battle. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 8... Their descendants, right, because that entire generation died in the desert. 
in Deuteronomy 1.8, See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to the descendants after them. By the way, that generation is the generation that went in and took the land. The generation that rejected the gift, they died in the, in, in the desert. God has given you the gift of salvation. You must take possession of it. You need, you need to take possession of it. You need to receive it by faith. You need to believe in him. You need to believe he died for you. You need to believe he was raised from the dead. You need, you need to believe that your sins are completely forgiven. You're justified by what he did. You're redeemed. You're reconciled. You're adopted into the family of God. But now you need to occupy in the gift. You need to trust. You need to pray. You need to be in the word. You need to commune with him, obey him. You need to protect the gift because the enemy will come and he will try to steal it. He'll try to steal your peace, steal your joy. They rejected the gift. So here's a, here's a final word. In Numbers 14, 28, God says to Moses, say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, the entire generation died in the desert in the sand. I have to go downstairs for a second. Excuse me. Yeah, you, sitting there in your chair at Living Word Community Church. Yeah, that's me talking to you on the screen. Yeah, you, listen, listen. If you are complaining, stop. It didn't get me anywhere. Well, it actually did for me. It got me here, right here in the desert in this pile of sand. You, you got it? Yeah, did you got, you got it? And listen, listen, listen. I'm not done yet. I've only just begun. That's one of my favorite songs. We've only just begun. Listen, I'm going to give you a tip. Second tip. Don't look back. Forget the leeks and the onions from Egypt. I don't know why I lusted after them anyway. They just gave me heartburn and really bad gas. Oh... Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on heaven. You got it? You got it? Oh, wait, I got another lesson for you. Another tip. It's important. Are you listening? Don't be ungrateful with what God has given to you. And resist it. Enjoy it. Cherish it. Be thankful. Develop an attitude of gratitude. You got it? You getting bored with me? You in the back dozing off. Wake up. <laughs> All right, here's another tip. Don't rebel against God's anointed leaders. They got a tough enough job without someone like you making it tougher. They carry the burden of the church. So encourage them. Pray for them. Make some... Uh,
manna cannolis for them. You got it? <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Okay, okay. I got one more. I got one more kafilta fish for you. Don't reject God's gift. If you do, you know where you're going to end up. In a place that's a lot hotter than the sandy desert that I'm in. You know what I'm talking about? Right, 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 right? Well, that's all I got to say to you today. I hope that you learn the lesson. So for now, goodbye. Adios. Arrivederci. Awa. Off of Wevenstein. Sayonara. Goodbye. <laughs> I have some fun sometimes. I wrote that this afternoon. <laughs> I hope you take those lessons to heart. I hope you take those lessons. They're going to they're gonna make your life so much better, so much more meaningful. So the musicians, are you coming up? I'm done. Let's pray together. Father, I do pray, Lord God, just impress, Lord God, these great truths upon us. We don't want to be like those who died in the desert. Let us, Lord God, truly remove complaining from us. Let us, Lord God, be thankful in all things. See the cup half full? Bring solutions, Lord, not only to our problems, but the problems of others to help them. And let us, Lord God, be, be a people, Lord God, who don't rebel against your promises, Lord, your provisions, Lord, your leadership, your son. No place for it, Lord God. So, Father, again, just impress this truth upon our hearts. Be with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can all stand with me. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Frank. Thank you, Lord, for your word. The altars are open as we close in this song before we go to prayer. So please take advantage of this time. If you'd like to pray alone, that's fine. Or with somebody. First Chronicles 22:19. You with the light of my soul. Yes, Lord. Jesus, you are.